0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Monday and that means it's time for our Zoomer squad and there's nothing more urgent than the devastating impact of the virus on long-term care. Nursing home residents make up nearly half of the entire death toll throughout the country and this is happened very close to home here at Zoomer Media. One of our colleagues lost his dad in a long-term care home last week. And as with other families, the closest that he could get was through a window outside, a heartbreaking fact that magnifies the tragedy of what is happening there. Now, CARP, has just conducted a poll on long-term care, and it shows, among other things, that most people think our governments are doing a poor job managing all of this. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 And now I'd like to welcome the Zoomer Squad, Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi, all. Hi, Hi,
2: Libby. Hey, Libby.
1: Okay, let's start uh, with Marissa and the poll.
3: A lot of really interesting numbers uh, to come out of the poll. You mentioned one of them, which is that a majority of respondents uh, felt that governments really across the country um, lacked in their preparation for COVID-19 and long-term care homes. And, you know, as we've been saying, you know, in moments like this, what in bro- what is broken in our society really gets revealed for what it is. And in many ways, long-term care has been exposed and sort of laid bare for all. And we're starting to see that, you know, many of these deaths were predictable um, we saw figures coming from across the world, Spain, France, Belgium, that showed half of deaths were happening in these homes. Moreover, we knew the vulnerabilities. We knew how this virus presented itself, how it impacted people with, with comorbidities, and as well, uh, you know, at the impact that it would have on people in close proximity. And so the question really uh, is were our long term care homes just an afterthought for our elected officials, uh, you know. And I think the poll um, indicates that many of our members feel that
1: way. You know, I I found out a really interesting fact last week from the Minister of Long-Term Care here in Ontario, and it's something, honestly, that I can't blame the government for, because if uh, they were looking at the situation in Italy and Spain and looking at those hospitals that were just completely overwhelmed... And I do remember that here in Ontario, even though our hospitals are at capacity or overcapacity, even be- before it hit, you know, the health minister showing off extra capacity and-, and these negative pressure rooms and whatnot, but before everything hit, they were moving those alternate level of care patients. Those are the patients who are only in hospital because they were waiting for a place in long-term care. They moved them into nursing homes to create that capacity that, thank goodness, we do have in hospitals. And there you go. I mean... It, you know to me it's it's uh, a case of you know you plug a hole in one part of the roof and then the water comes comes uh, splashing out of the of of the other side but uh mm-hmm. i was pretty surprised that that's what had been happening and uh according to some documents i've seen it only stopped happening in the last uh week or so
3: we knew that both of those environments were going to be vulnerable were going to be pressure spots um and in many ways, our hospitals were prepared. They were the ones where all of the protective equipment was really reserved. Um, we do know that training and they were staffing up, lessons learned from SARS were applied in our hospital settings. And it, we really just didn't see the same for our long-term care homes. Uh, yeah,
1: um, David?
4: Well, I think that the um, the problem does go back several administrations.'s been chronic underfunding. We've been CARp has been, uh, and recently, Marissa has been leading the charge on this, uh, calling out the lack of adequate staffing, the lack of regulations that permit uh, people uh, on the staff to work in multiple homes, carrying the infection uh, with them from place to place. Um, and I think this has scared everybody. It was interesting in our survey, 80% of the respondents were not in a long-term care home um, and did not have a loved one in a long-term care home, but we're all shocked. And I think that's the kind of shock it is. It may be something I'm not immediately thinking about. Am I ever going to be in there? Do I have a loved one going to be in there? But you kind of think it's there in the background, just there when you need it, and it'll be okay somehow. You don't look into it too closely. And then suddenly this happens, and you start saying, well, how many buildings have one washroom for 25 people, and aren't they... You know, petri dishes for infection, even without COVID nineteen. Who's regulating this? Who's controlling what the buildings look like, what the staffing look like? Maybe this whole system that I kind of, sort of think is there, you know, ticking in the background in case I need it. What if the whole thing is is teetering? And that's what this has proven. And I think that's why everybody's so uh, animated about it now.
1: Well, you can't, you can't look away uh from the situation now but but no, th- there no. are new standards that are being put in place for nursing homes. But the bottom line is, uh, and, and, you know, I, different, I guess different governments are at different levels of trying to implement that. But y- you have to build those new places, and, and uh, you can't get them online fast enough. They have no. to be built. And then there's the question of funding and who's spending, spending what, Peter? Peter?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, in in Quebec, the the premier basically threw up his hands and called in the army. You know, like he he didn't have any sol- immediate solutions, and uh, so it, that that's the kind of situation we've got to. And 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 one of the things that um, everyone in the poll seemed to agree was that um, do you think there are enough staff to provide proper care for residents in long t- in long term care? Ninety four percent said no and that's something everyone has known for ever and it's um, it's now it's now coming to bear.
1: Well, here in Ontario just recently we had the whole inquiry uh, by Justice Galise following the murders by nurse Elizabeth Wetlafer that actually we wouldn't have known about if she hadn't decided to confess and That is one of the things that keeps coming up and has come up for ages and ages. And uh, as long as it's not mandated, uh, you know, uh, is it going to happen? Well, and it's not only in
3: Ontario where we see staffing shortages. It's right across the country. There really are no minimum standards for staffing in our long-term care facilities from coast to coast to coast. And this is something uh, that really has impacted our response to long-term care, or our response to COVID-19, rather, in long-term care homes. Um, we're seeing it with the stories that come out daily. Um, just the the shortage of staffing in these homes is, is not enough. It's just not sufficient to meet the needs of people there. And we knew this before the pandemic hit. And now it's been exacerbated by a pandemic. So, you know, CARP has long advocated for the need to you really value the care workers in these homes more by paying them more. Um and I know, this will it's, certainly it, go a long way to helping sort of commit to eradicating resident harm in these homes because when there isn't enough staff, the fact of the matter is resident needs get neglected. It's as simple as that. And so this is a huge part of the problem that governments just have really failed to address.
4: You know it, and it's, it's, and it's uh, gonna get it's gonna get it's gonna get worse because you know, you can debate uh, public, private, luxury, middle, different price points, different facilities. But the fact is undeniable that as people are living longer, the need for long term care facilities of some type or another uh, is only going to increase. It's not, so this isn't some, you know, tiny little niche that got messed up somewhere along the way and it creates, you know, a couple weeks of shock headlines about this minute little sector, and then life will go back to normal. This is, the the solving the long-term care issue is a major, uh, in itself a long-term care major issue that's only going to get bigger and bigger and affect more people.
1: Uh, In terms of the personal support workers, even now, so here in Ontario, as in other provinces, they are now forbidden to work in multiple homes. And, Mm there was talk about a top-up of their wages, and I believe there's going to be, there's some transfer from the federal to the provincial governments for that, but it's not in place. These are people who do a dangerous, critical job for very little money, and if they were working four or six hours somewhere else, you know, that's their grocery money. Mm
3: -hmm. It's true. No, that's right, that's right. And and we do know also that there have been some challenges in Ontario not every province has moved in this direction by the way, Ontario did Um, Quebec did, and I think BC may have.
1: Um, Yeah, BC BC
3: was the first. Yeah, and so, but there are still some challenges with PSWs that are working at temp agencies, you don't qualify so we know that there have been challenges with this plan and we also know that this is the best way to try and keep residents safe because where is the disease coming from it's coming from the outside and so how can you you know curtail the spread of this disease well the biggest Thing you can do is limit the number, you know, the number of homes that these care workers are working at. But to your point about the federal government's program, I mean, I think it's really important that the federal government has agreed to do this. I don't know what but the timing of it all, um, but certainly would urge the government to act quickly, swiftly, so that so the people are compensated for their for their loss of
1: of, uh, of income. Well, and you know, the the thing that's that's really, I mean, shocking to me is that. It's it's not like there's not enough work for the personal support workers but they don't get full-time jobs so yeah. benefits don't have to be paid. I mean come
3: on well, and look, even, look at look at these people that are, are, are doing in for us positions may not necessarily have benefits.
1: Pardon? I said even people in full-time positions may not necessarily have benefits. I mean it's to me it it, it it's just appalling. I mean one of the things uh, from you know the pandemic as a whole, Peter, is I think that a, a lot of jobs that that we don't or haven't valued as a society we will start to value, like the the grocery store clerks who are there all the time,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the truckers, the you know um, ambulance attendants, people like that who aren't paid a great deal of amount of money. They we we really see their value and. um and uh you know but especially the PSWs you know and and the the poll everyone seems to agree that they they don't get paid enough and you know where anyone who's been into a home knows they do 99% of the work and uh you know we're going to have to shift our values as a society do we want people looking after our elderly to be paid more and and once we make that decision they will be paid more
3: I mean, we have this conversation every year about our
2: teachers that are are training our our young
3: minds. Um, I know that Quebec has spoken about boosting wages temporarily. This is important. It is uh, for employee retention. Hopefully it's not temporarily. Hopefully this is long term. But boosting wages is so important for retention. Not only does it increase the number of people wanting to come into this industry, but it also helps to retain them. You have to remember what these people are doing on a regular basis, what is being required of them, changing, bathing, dental care, dementia care. And now on top of that, you have quarantine efforts, uh, disease control and prevention. These things are super challenging when you don't have enough staff to to do them. And so we, the fact is we need more resources and we need to make sure that we have a strategy to acquire care talent and to, and to retain them so that people want to stay and do this very important work. And they're only at this point, on average, across the country, being paid an hourly wage of between 14 and $16 an hour. That's how we value these people, when their work is physically, mentally, emotionally draining, physically, unsustainable. Sometimes their days start at 6 a.m. and they don't end until 11.
4: Yeah, There's another problem, though, I think, and that is that the entire nature of the facility is not known or understood by the vast majority of people until they need it. We may be starting to recognize grocery clerks and truck drivers and so on, but at least we're, they're visible all the time. We kind of know what they do. But most people, uh, the vast majority of people, have no exposure to the long-term care sector until they need to place a loved one in a long-term care facility. There's the haziest notion of what these facilities are, which ones are run by the government, which ones are private. There's a, a flurry of activity. Uh, quick, I need something, can you help me here? Um, in, in a topic that was previously completely unknown, and I think that has, I'm not accusing the government of bad motives here, but I think that's kind of aggravated the leave it alone, it's not urgent, nobody's really seeing what's going on here. Um, there's very little awareness. Now there is because there's all these deaths and there's suddenly a big, uh, fuss about it, but um, until we can make the entire topic more intelligible and more visible, and really think through what does it mean to have a long-term care facility with some sort of license on the wall, who who supplies that license, who does the management, what are the minimum terms and conditions to be, to be allowed to be in that uh, in that field. Um, it's been a big mystery. It's been a big blank for most people, and now we're suddenly paying attention, and hopefully that will provoke a more thorough look at the whole topic.
1: Let's take a couple of calls. Margaret in Mississauga, you've been waiting patiently. Hi, Margaret. Uh,
5: yes, Libby. it's um, I'm calling from Viva, Mississauga, and I'm real extremely fortunate to be here. We are under quarantine, and... Um, are you? A, is it a retirement home or a, a long-term? I'm in care a retirement home? home, and I feel very, very sorry about the uh, long-term uh, people. But I just wanted to point out that we are receiving excellent service, and our meals are delivered to our rooms, and they even bring a snack for the afternoon. And the uh, president of our. Of Viva Mississauga has written to us, assuring us that our our workers will be well taken care of um, because they're really uh, putting themselves in danger as well as their families, and they're all here working so very, very hard. And I just feel so very fortunate to be here and getting such good care and attention, and we're allowed. Um, to walk around the grounds um distance distance is still um done but we're still allowed to go down and they modified our exercises and it's really spaced and uh, I can't say enough about the the good
1: care I'm and I'm sad. 94 I'm, I'm glad, Margaret, that, that you're doing well and that you're getting good care, and we appreciate hearing from you. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, you know, obviously there's a difference between the situation in retirement homes and long-term care. Uh, uh, David? I, well, I, I actually don't know that that's entirely
3: true, um, so yes and no. Obviously, what we saw happen in the Montreal care home, that was a retirement home, a privately funded luxury retirement home where oh. people were paying. But um, that's not what's happening necessarily across the country. It's its not so much. Uh, retirement homes are somewhat different insofar as the residents are, are, are different in many ways. A lot of people are perfectly autonomous and other people do have high care needs, whereas in long term care, the majority of uh, high care needs. But the, but the needs are are not the you know the vulnerability rather with respect to the close proximity of residents and and as we age the likelihood of more comorbidities which make us more vulnerable to sort of the negative effects of COVID-19 those are all the same.
1: Um, okay let's take a call from Dave in Brampton hi Dave. Hi uh,
4: this is Dave and I have uh, PSWs come into my house as you know
1: uh-huh, still, and are they coming,
4: Are the they coming through this? The PSWs told me the reason why they work part time in these places is because they don't get benefits. That's the only reason they're working part time.
1: Yep, I we know that, Dave. Are, are your PSWs still coming to the house? Oh yeah,
4: yeah. You yeah. know who I am.
1: Yes, I know who you are. I, yes,
4: I, I get I, PSWs every day.
1: And there and there's no interruption or anything no like that? No
4: interruption. Everything's going fine as far as that goes.
1: Okay. that's. I'm glad to hear you and your wife are keeping well. I'm glad to hear that.
4: Yeah, we're keeping out of trouble.
1: <laughs> okay. Thank but, you for that.
4: Uh, okay. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. You know, uh, you mentioned that in Quebec, uh, the Premier threw up his hands and called in the military here. There have been some calls for the province to take over management of a few nursing homes that uh, are in a very bad way. The minister, I think, rightfully said, "Hey, we're no, we 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 don't manage long term care homes." Um, I personally, I do think that that for the government to take something like that on with no experience would would uh, would be a really dumb thing to do. <laughs> but uh, do you, what do you guys think?
2: Well, in uh, there's three homes in particular. Um and um, uh, two of them have a 70% uh, outbreak, and 70% of the residents have it. So um, as the the, the head of the union said, um, these homes are totally mismanaged and reckless. And and, uh, so perhaps these three homes need someone to step in and do something, you know, to to take over the situation, as they did in Quebec, you know, where they called in the Army.
4: David? Or certainly if, the, certainly, if the management is that bad and you're in an emergency situation, then, you know, the day-to-day business of government saying we're not here to manage these homes, which is valid, uh, what do you do if there's a crisis? What do you do if there's an emergency? What other resources can you call on as government? Um, or do you just... I don't think you can be in a laissez-faire mode and, you know, say, well, you know, good luck. We're, we're rooting for you. I think you, you do have to step up uh, perhaps with other partners, perhaps with other resources from the private sector, but there needs to be some proactive uh, steps taken so that these situations aren't allowed to continue. Right. And, well, and, and have... in all these
2: homes, too, the staff have a huge number of the staff have uh, COVID as well. COVID so it, it's oh, not yeah. only the residents, it's the staff.
1: Too. Uh, we've seen the, the province did uh, send some hospital teams in. Uh, something that also happened in Quebec, and there's some controversy about it. But but uh, her in here, downtown Toronto, UHN sent sent teams into certain uh, nursing homes that were not coping to help out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which to me makes more sense than than having the government directly stepping in. I don't know if that's enough, uh, but yeah, and and um, it's not clear to me that uh, if they had a big outbreak, you know, it, it could be that there were a lot of staff, that, that it's necessarily a result of, of gross negligence or something like that in That's Quebec. Right. That's clearly right. Clearly yeah. it was.
6: Well,
4: yeah.
3: But also, you know, what does that mean that the government is stepping in? Because the government really is at capacity at this point, too. I agree um, with you, Libby, that it makes a lot of sense where our hospitals haven't been inundated. Unfortunately, we haven't seen the kinds of surges that were originally projected, projected in hospitals. That's, that's one silver lining of all of this. But where hospitals aren't being inundated, having some of those care workers with transferable skills move into our long-term care facilities that are short-staffed, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, But one of the things that came out of, and I'm not conflating the two, but one of the things that came out of the Wettlocker inquiry was the need for um, more inspections that are random and that are thorough. And one of the things we learned last week was that of all 626 long-term care homes in Ontario, only nine received what are called resident quality inspections, which is where, you know, the, the ministry will go in and they'll inspect They'll speak with all the residents in the home. Um, they'll get reactions. They'll look at complaint reports and so on and so forth. And they'll do a full, full thorough um, ins- inspection of this home. And nine, only nine of these were done. Other inspections were done with respect to, you know, g- complaining critical incidents, but those are often announced and the homes are told in advance. Um, but, Part of the justification for only conducting nine was because the health ministry uh, you know, has, has staffing shortages of its own and trying to meet the needs of you know, the Long-Term Care Homes Act, which lays out obligations in legislation that these homes ought to be randomly um, investigated. You know, they can't even meet that. So I, I don't know what it would mean that the ministry would then come in and take over these homes.
1: I I asked the minister of long-term care about that and she defended what they were doing saying well we respond to complaints and blah 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 but but yeah I mean it seems like a random uh investigation with without prior notice is is seem to me what's what's necessary you know when there's a complaint they know what's going on uh, I'd like to uh oh we just lost that call there was a caller uh who said that her her brother was in Eatonville and his roommate died and uh, i'm not sure why we lost her so uh caller um be happy to take your call another time so please feel free to call yeah, back
2: yeah Eatonville was one of those homes that was um was you know yeah. w- was was highlighted as as being mismanaged
4: yeah. i think we have to distinguish here between Systemic things that need complete reexamination once this is over, and band aid solutions at the height of the crisis that I don't think anybody, uh, at least I don't feel comfortable, uh, you know, pointing fingers and saying this isn't good or that. I mean, let's face it, the government's going to uh, b- apply a lot of band aid, a lot of short term measures, a lot of shuffling of resources precisely because this is unprecedented and caught everybody by surprise. What it revealed, and I think where CARP is going to be going in the future, is what it revealed with a lack of planning and a lack of a coherent policy for the management of long-term care facilities in an environment in which the population of these facilities is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. The risks are not going to get smaller, and it needs a fresh look, and you know, I think they can be doing, they can be bobbing and weaving right now, which they should be. And I don't think, I at least I'm not comfortable saying, you know, you should have zig instead of zag. That's well, exactly. Fine. But I what agree. about afterwards? What about when
1: it's all over? Well, I, uh, being a, a cockeyed optimist, I think that <laughs> this will finally finally make us all take a good hard look and and finally fix this because none of this is new. And uh, if anything, it's also because uh, now it's uh, us Zoomers who are not there yet, but we know we might be um, yep. in in the span of time that it would take to, to fix this. Uh, so, I don't know, a uh, combination of, of, of people you know taking this to heart and uh of a you know zoomer self interest and and we know how to advocate i'm um you know i'm i'm hopeful that this will finally make us fix it <laughs> peter am i uh too optimistic
2: no i i i i totally agree and and you know um once we've had time to reflect on this uh i, I i'm hopeful but but whether we do or not is r- remains to be seen, you know, whether we apply the, the lessons learned to um, a long-term fix.
1: Okay, you know, Norma called back, so I'm going to take that call. Hello, Norma, how are you? Hi, Libby.
6: Thank you for taking my call. I have a brother that lives at Eatonville Long-Term Care, and he only went to that home because... We live in Mississauga, and there was nowhere in Mississauga because, as you know, Eatonville is at the board west of um, Etobicoke. Mm-hmm. The care I've always been concerned about, but I can't reach anyone to find out whether my brother has had a COVID-19 test done or not. His roommate has died. There have been 34 people that have died in that facility. No one will answer the phone. We Skyped with him, his son and I Skyped with him on Saturdays. God bless the recreation staff for allowing that. And he is, like, wearing beard like he just came out of a forest. He (laughs) says he's never been out of bed. He only sees people when they pull the curtain and feed him. And he's even wearing somebody else's clothes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, How can we get through to find out whether he was tested, and they're waiting on his test results. Uh, Did you ask him? Does he know? Is he... He said he was tested, but I don't know because he's a little bit confused. I do believe he's not getting any care because he's not been out of bed at all. So I don't know what to do because we need to know if he was tested, even for someone to say... Um, They're waiting on the test results. The executive director does not answer the messages. I know she's overwhelmed with lots of people to call back. But just to say yes or no, I can't sleep at night knowing my brother is receiving no care. And whether he has been infected or not, I don't know.
1: That's terrible. His son, I mean, has his son been to the f- facility and been knocking on the windows? I mean, does that help? Uh,
6: even if we knock on the window, we did drive by there, but his room is facing the East Mall. And where folks are knocking on the windows, they're facing the this, the um, hotel and the school school. So for him, he would not even know because they've kept him in bed. His beard, he's never grown a beard. And his beard, he says nobody comes to to shave him. The PSW that gave him very good care, she is sick and he doesn't know anybody there. And I, I, I know that the rec staff dropped by to say hi, but I I am so frightened that they will just find him dead in the bed if oh, no, no one goes oh, and no. give him some care. Marissa, do you have a suggestion?
3: Well, you know, I have to say that this isn't the first time I've heard this, where people have tried to get in contact with home administrators to speak with someone. And just as, you know, your caller has said, she appreciates that these homes, in many cases, are very overwhelmed, have a lot of calls to get to, and are really just short-staffed and are focused on the needs of residents at the moment. But um, this is a problem um, that, you know, it, it causes many family members to just have anxiety and concern and fear of not being able to reach the residents. One of the things I might suggest is if, uh you know it's possible carp may be able to support you in
6: this um so if you could read I'm not a member of carp though I'm 74 I haven't joined that's okay <laughs>
3: why don't you shoot us an email we um, and maybe news, we, could, so we could yeah Or maybe I can reach out to you directly and 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 take that sort of offline, maybe if there's something that we can do to support
1: you. We'll have your phone number, and Norma, we'll we'll, we'll run part of what you've just told us in our newscasts uh, a few more times, and hopefully uh, that may rouse somebody. To answer the phone, because that is, Mm -hmm. I mean, my heart goes out to you. That is, that's awful.
6: Thank you so very much, because years ago, I used to teach in a long-term care home. So I know that the workers work very hard, but when most of the um, full-timers are off, Um, The part-timers or relief that comes in don't seem to be able to manage, and in that home, they don't even have a sink to wash your hands in the room. They have one shower for the whole ward. So I can understand why he has not had a shower at all. But somebody could at least wash his face, help him brush his
1: teeth, and yeah. shave him. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just uh, it's terrible. And yeah. um, I, I hope we'll be able to uh, get you uh, some help. But um, we'll try. Thank you so very much, Libby, and thank you for what you do every day. Thank you, Norma, and uh, all the best to you and your family, and, and uh, I hope something gets resolved because that is just it's be beyond the pale. Um, thanks, Norma. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, uh, we are uh, just about out of time on this. Let's uh, give everybody a last word, starting with David.
4: Well, I think we've seen the two extremes today. We've seen an example of a retirement home where everything's being run fine, and we've got this heartbreaking story from Norma that really speaks to the lack of consistency, the lack of standards, the lack of oversight from a long time. And here we're seeing the consequences, and I really hope and pray that we can help her, that they'll take a call from us. But um, it really underscores the need to look at the whole thing with fresh eyes and fix it and not just uh, have a few Band-Aids for a couple of weeks here and there.
1: Peter?
2: Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt your optimistic uh, stance, Libby, and say that with stories like that, terrible stories like that, and others emerging, um, something will be done, and uh, it will be positive, but we'll have to wait till the uh, crisis is over.
3: Marissa? I think just wanting to underscore the need for you know, once this pandemic is over, what is the government going to do to fix our broken system? Um, And part of that response starts, really, it starts with staffing, as evidenced by your just your last caller's comments. One of the first things to go when there's a shortage of staff is dental and and bathing, because these things, they take longer. And so, you know, and it's just so unacceptable, right? Because we've, in many ways, lost lost sight of the fact that these are people's homes. They aren't just institutions to warehouse them. So I think it's important that we go back to that, to bring care back into these homes, the care that these people deserve, that they can age with dignity and respect.
1: Okay. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about this very, very soon. And Marissa, I think you have a, a CARP town hall coming up. Yes, we've been doing these weekly
3: um, so thank you to everyone who's participated on these, on these, on these Carp Town Halls. Um, they've been on, on finance and on health care. So the, there's another one that's
1: coming up uh, next week, not this week,
3: next week, though.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Marissa Lennox, Peter Mugridge, and David Kravitz. Thank and you, Libby, will, thank you Libby. Thanks. thanks Libby. Talk to you again soon.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.